Well, good morning. How are you feeling? Are you ready for God's word? Did you come with a heart of expectation? Good, good, good. Before we get into God's word, I do have one special announcement. This Wednesday night, we have off. So adults will not be meeting and children will not be meeting. The only ones that will be meeting this Wednesday night is the, uh, no, no one's meeting this Wednesday night. Our entire team is going to the Gateway Conference. And so, oh yeah, like five people are excited for us, guys. You know, this is our opportunity to get pumped up, to be poured into, and for our team to get ready. I know we had some, uh, some disappointments out there, like, ah, oh, we're so into Wednesday night, and, and that's good. Our church is becoming more and more about Wednesday night. If you've never come out, you need to come out. This week we're off, but we'll start right back up after this week. We have had this campus packed, our eye care cafe, having trouble keeping up with demand. If you want to uh, volunteer in the cafe, in the kitchen, if you want to volunteer to help us uh, run more effectively and efficiently, we could use your help. Go ahead and volunteer. You can go right outside to the cafe and ask uh, to volunteer with one of the leaders there. Now listen, God's word is dynamic, it's alive, it's moving, it never comes back void, and I pray that you are ready to receive what God has to share with you today. You might say that uh, there's been many occasions where people come up and they say, Pastor, I felt like you were talking right at me. I'm going to ask him to put my time up there if you get a chance, John. It's like, I feel like you were talking right at me. It's like you had a window into my home or you had a camera on me and I, you could read our thoughts or what was going on. And, and, I, and, and I always say that if you slow it down real slow and you watch it on film, you'll see something like this. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. I am not watching you. That's the Holy Spirit that's speaking out of the need of his people. You know, and, and this is what the Bible promises. How many of you know that God, God fulfills his promise? Do you know that God is here today? We can pray that God would, would bless us. Uh, no, let me say that again. Do you know that God is here today? Okay, good. That was a little better than first service. I said, God is here today. And some people said, really? Like, oh my gosh, Lord. You know, the truth is, the Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 18, that were two or three gather in his name, then what? That he shows up. He will be there. How many of you know that God keeps his word? The, you know, God says, have I ever lied? Do I change? I do not change. I do not lie. I am not like you. I am consistent. And if I say something, I'm going to do it. Who can say to me that, they have, that, that I have not fulfilled my promises? That's what God asks. And if God promises to show up, guess what? He shows up. And so he's here. And before we go any further, can we just pray and say, Lord, God in heaven, bless this service. Guys, we're praying already. You know, you don't have to close your eyes to pray. As a matter of fact, many of us pray while we're driving. And I would suggest, please don't close your eyes. <laughs> don't, you know, everyone will appreciate that. So we can just pray and that's the beauty of what Jesus Christ did for us. He gives us full access to God anytime because of, because, of, because of his blood. So we can say, Lord, thank you for this day. God, just impress upon my heart and our hearts exactly what you want us to know. Lord, let your word accomplish its good work. Lord, we, we partner with you and we say that we are ready, God. Our minds are alert and our hearts are receptive to what you have to say. God, speak and forever change us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. That's a beautiful prayer. You know, guys, over the last three months, God has been moving in this church. We've had over 60 professions of faith and people following him in baptism. Over 60. Now, you might, you might say, Pastor, why are you making a big deal about the numbers? Because numbers are a big deal to God. And I'll tell you why. It's not because of a number. It's because every number represents a person. 
And every person represents a life and a soul that matters to God. Everyone. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that he does not wish that anyone should perish. He said he came to save all, all who are lost, not just some. But the choice is ours. That's the beauty of God. He's not going to force us to follow him. We'll talk more about that in a second. But isn't it exciting to know that our church, our church is on mission with our king of trying to make a difference in this world, seeing people come to baptism. You say, well, what is baptism? Baptism is a believer's declaration that he or she has followed the risen Lord Jesus Christ as their king, as their savior. Okay, what, 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 wait, wait a minute. You mean I get saved and then I'm baptized? That's exactly what believer's baptism is. What if I got baptized before I got saved? Then you got baptized on the wrong side of the cross. You go, well, what, is that? What, what does that mean? It means you get to do it right. You get to do what the New Testament shows over and over and over. But what if I got baptized as a child? Was that wrong? No, it wasn't wrong. But that's dedication baptism. Dedication baptism is your parents saying, I want my son or daughter to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But what the New Testament shows you have the opportunity of doing is saying, Lord, this is my decision. Mom, dad, thank you. I'll take it from here. I'm standing in my faith. I'm standing in my own decision. This is my personal decision. And Lord, from my lips and my heart, I say you are my king. And therefore, it is my privilege to be baptized. That's believer's baptism. If you've never had that privilege, I want to invite you to sign up. You can sign up on the other side of this wall at our Connection Center. We're going to have baptisms as often as we need. And I told the guys, you've got too, too small a pool. We're going to need a huge pool because God desires to see Bastrop saved. Amen? And I want you to start praying for friends and family. I want you to have them on your heart. We're going to talk more about what having something on your heart. As a matter of fact, this came to me when I was, uh, we were driving and you know how we like to get away. Our family likes to pour into you guys and then we like to get away and pour into ourselves because you cannot give what you don't have. When you run on empty, you, you, you don't have anything to give. So we like to stay filled up. And we were headed towards New Mexico. How many of you have ever gone through Lubbock on 84, up through Clovis? Anyone? Okay, you'll run into a little town by the name of Littlefield. 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 Now, Littlefield has a small population, not very big. And while I was going through there, I said, you may not know this, but this is the home of Mr. Waylon Jennings. And my son, he was very little at the time, says, who's Waylon Jennings? I said, oh, I'm not doing good as a dad. I'm going to I'm have to educate you, son. I said, Mr. Waylon Jennings is that man on the billboard right there. Because if you pass through Littlefield, you'll see this billboard. And he said, well, what is he? He's a country singer? I said, no, he's not just a country singer. And, and then you can't get too far in the conversation without having to play this for them. I don't need my name in the marquee lights. I got my song, I got you with me tonight. Maybe it's time we got back to the basics of love. Let's go to Luke and Mark, Texas. Willie, Willie and the boys. This successful life we're living got us feuding like the Hatfields and McCoys. Some of you are going, what's going on here? Between Hank Williams' pain songs, Newberry's train songs, and blue eyes crying in the rain. Out in Luke and Bob, Texas, ain't nobody feeling no pain. So baby, let's sell your diamond ring. Buy some boots and faded jeans and go. Come on, you know the song. And I love it because his reaction was priceless. He goes, man, this wailing guy, he's got a good voice. He said, his voice is cool. I said, yeah, it's real cool. And a lot of people thought that too. 
But I love when Willie comes in. And Willie sings the last stanza, so to speak. And you can't get, you can't get to talking about Waylon without talking about Willie. And their voices go so good together. One has that, that deep, strong voice, and the other has that distinct, high, clear voice. And, and you hear him singing, and, and you can't talk about Willie too long before I let you know that he's a Baylor bear. I don't know if you know that, but he went to Baylor, not UT. And, and Willie, you can't get too far in a conversation about Willie without talking about this song. Some of you are going, what in the world is going on at church? Now, if you stand up and start dancing, I'm going to have to pray for you. Listen to the words. because the songs come up and I start preaching to my kids. I start preaching to my family. And you've heard that because I play so much music for you and I always make a message out of it. And some of you are saying like, pastor, how do you do that? Somebody asked me the other day, you can take any song and make a message out of it. You know why? Because God is always on my mind. God is always on my mind, but I want you to listen to those words. He says, little things I should have said and done. So I got all these excuses, but you were always on my mind. Ladies, you answer this question for me. A guy can say you were always on my mind, but if he never showed it, what does that mean? Not much. See, the truth is, he gets you with that awesome voice, but listen to the lyrics. The lyrics were, I wasn't there. I should have thought, I, I should have, could have, would have, but I didn't. But you were always on my mind. Can I ask you, what's always on your mind? If someone were to read your mind and we could put it up on the screen, now, what would we find? What's on your mind? Let me ask you this. What's on Jesus' mind? If Jesus were to sing, you were always on my mind, what would he be talking about and who would he be singing to? The truth is he'd be talking sincerely about you. You are always on Christ's mind. And he doesn't have to explain, I should have, I could have, I, I would have. But instead, he can sincerely say, you are the reason why I came to earth. You were on my mind. You were in my heart. It's all about you. All about you. All about his church and those that the Father gave to him for him. Those that would say, yes, not everyone. No, he came for everyone, but not everyone is going to receive him. And yet he comes and says, you are always on my mind. What is always on Jesus's mind? I'll tell you what's always on Jesus's mind. His church, others, people. People are, why is Jesus always thinking of others? Isn't that a good question? Lord, why are you always thinking of others? Because if that's always on your mind, then that, shouldn't that be on our mind? Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I'm far from being like Jesus. As a matter of fact, I, I can't seem to think like Jesus. But the Bible says, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, the Bible says, very, listen very, very close here, in Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind that was in Christ be also in you. Let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be also in you. Oh, pastor, I'm so far from thinking like Jesus. I got so much stress. I have worry. I have all these things that Jesus never had to deal with. He never had to deal with these kids. I feel like that little girl. If I could take a break, I'd take a break from you and these kids. 
Some of you are going, I have no idea what he's talking about. That means you didn't show up a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I, I show videos and we have music and I use all things to bring the message so that by all possible means, the Bible says we might be able to save some. And that's what Jesus wants us to have his mind. You say, but I don't have it yet. Then you need to understand what Paul said. You need to renew your mind. How do you renew it? That means you can make a decision of what you're going to concentrate on. How are you going to step forward and how are you going to live? But so many times we just get caught up in the rat race. Am I the only one? Just gets caught up in the rat race, gets caught up in the rigmarole, gets caught up and before you know it, I'm just reacting instead of planning who I want to be. And God gives us that beautiful, beautiful opportunity to plan and to think about who we are to be. So why is Jesus always thinking about others? Number one, I'm going to have three very easy points, but number one, the heart of the Father. Because he wanted to show us and he came to show us the love and the heart of the Father. And that's why others are always on his mind. Do you know from day one, God has always loved you. His desire has always been to have a relationship with you. Everything that God does, it's because of his love for his creation, his love for you. And so many times God wanted to have a relationship with us, but yet we weren't willing and we didn't understand. And so he took it, he took it all the way to the point of becoming like us. I'll never forget preaching this message on a, on a Christmas Eve service. And my son was sitting right there where Philip is sitting. And he was, he was about seven years old. And I was saying that God in the Old Testament comes down to Moses in the, in the form of a burning bush. Now, guys, if you were out tending your sheep and you saw a bush on fire and it wasn't consumed, it just continued to burn, how many of you would kind of say, wow, that's special? Well, that's what Moses did. And as he got closer, God began to speak to him. And he said, I want a relationship with my people. I need you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go because I'm going to use these people to introduce myself to them. And I'm going to have a relationship with the whole world through these people. And so Moses goes and, and he gets his people out of Egypt through a series of circumstances. You know the story in the book of Exodus. They show up to that mountain and God decides not to set one bush on fire. Listen, one person, one bush, many people, what does he do? He sets the mountain on fire and it begins to smoke and he begins to speak to them and the earth begins to shake because he's speaking to them and telling them how much he loves them and they freak out. It kind of reminds me as if, if you were to speak to an ant mound, if you were to, to stoop down low and begin to tell those little ants, I want a relationship with you. I love you. Those ants would freak out. Well, we freaked out. So God said, what if I become like one of them? Then I'll share with them how much. And that's what Jesus represents. Jesus represents the love of the father. He came to say, I love you this much. That I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to hang on a cross so that you might be saved. So that you might be saved. I know we don't think of it that way, but that's the heart we should have. When we connect with that love, if you've ever connected with that love and you've realized, Lord, despite all my mistakes, despite all my frailties, despite all my insecurities, despite all my shame and rejection of you and everything that I've done, you still love me, God. I don't understand it, but I know that it's true because I felt you speak to me and you filled my heart and I will never be the same. If you felt that, then you should understand how special it is and it transforms you in an instant. And when it transforms you, you can't help but want to do what Jesus did and to tell somebody else of the love of the Father. That should be our heart. So what's always on your mind? Look, one of the things that Jesus came to undo was this idea that we had to have separation between us and God. And there's always been a group of people that say, you know what, I'll talk to God and then I'll tell you. 
And these religious leaders were like, let me, inter- let me, let me uh, interpret what God means. Let me tell you what it means. Let me be the one that keeps you at arm's length. I'll deal with God. And Jesus says, no, you won't. I've come so that everyone can come straight to the Father. This is why he had such a conflict with the religious leaders. And on one occasion, read with me in the book of Mark, chapter 20, I mean, chapter 2, verses 23. In the book of Mark, Jesus has this thing unfold. And, and, and it's on a Sabbath. The Sabbath was the holy day, right? It's part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt what? Keep the Sabbath day holy. So if you're going to keep the Sabbath day holy, watch this. One day Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his, disi- and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. They were hungry. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So they began to judge Jesus' disciples. And Jesus answered them and said, have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Ebiathar, the high priest, He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. So Jesus is making a point to them straight out of God's word. And he's saying, listen, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said this to them, the Sabbath was not made for men, right? Excuse me. The Sabbath was not made for men. Uh, Oh, excuse me. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I'm sorry. I was reading it out of my other version where it says that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. What does it mean? It means that the rules and everything you have in God's word is designed for you because you are the centerpiece of his creation. You are the apple of his eye. You are everything to him and you are on his heart. And the heart of the father is for you to love you. Even the rules and the laws that he's put there are to bless us. When he says, I want you to know what it's like to live in peace with one wife, that you might grow a family in peace, in joy, with love, that you might learn what real trust is for one another, that you might know what it's like to have my blessing cover over you. It's because I want more for you and for the future generations that will come after you. Anyone that's gone through divorce will tell you divorce is not a good thing. It rips people apart. It hurts you. It's not what you would want for your children. Now, I'm not saying that to judge you. I'm saying that to show you that all of God's law is for us, not us for the law. Those laws are meant to protect us and bless us. You say, but what if, we've, what if we've missed it? And what if we've experienced that hurt? Then Jesus comes and says, that's why I've come. Because I put it back together. And I show you what God can do when you surrender to him and tell him you love him. And he shows you his love. You know, as a matter of fact, this is what we see all through the Gospels in Luke 15. It starts off like this. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around near Jesus. But the Pharisees, there are those Pharisees again, those religious leaders and teachers of the law, they began to mutter, this dude, this guy, this man, he welcomes sinners. He welcomes the lowest of the bunch. Those that are far from God, he welcomes them. And God says, can I tell you, there's only one type of person, the one far from God that I came to save. You know, Jesus had some harsh words for the teachers of the law. Because in their minds, they thought, we don't need a savior. And so his harsh words were out of love. How? Because the harder your heart is, the harsher he has to be to crack that nut. And he's trying to crack through and say, you need me too. I came to show you the heart of the Father. Let me ask you this. Have you connected with the heart of the Father? Does the heart of the Father change the way you look at God? Is that on your mind? If it's on your mind and you've touched the heart of God, then you can't help but want to share it with somebody else. Because that's what changed you. And that's what 
revolutionized what was going on in here. So I want to challenge you. What's on your heart? Is it the same thing that's on God's heart? What's on your mind? Is it the same thing that's on God's mind? Go with me to point number two. So first, Jesus connected with the heart of the Father. No one in the history of the world has understood the heart of the Father like Christ. And he came to show us that love, that mercy, that grace. And one of the reasons he took it so seriously was he had a heavenly perspective. What does it mean that he had a heavenly perspective? He understood what was at stake. He understood what was at stake. What's at stake? Eternity. I need everyone to pay very close attention during this point. Eternity is at stake. You know, I had someone ask me one day, and it was here recently, said, Pastor, how can you tell me that the heart of the Father is love? How can you tell me that God loves when he's going to send so many people to hell? And I, I sincerely looked at him in the eyes and I said, sir, my dear brother, God is not sending anyone to hell. They're choosing to go there themselves. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ comes and says, I want all to be saved. I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. But this is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us, and that's our free will. Our ability with our mind and our will to direct our choice. To choose God or to reject him. To say, I willingly submit to you and I ask you to be the king of my life and the Lord and savior of my life. Or you know what, God, I think I'll go at it alone. I think I'll do it my way. Come on, how many of us have ever tried to put something together without the instructions? Men, talking to you. You know, I can remember on many a Christmas morning trying to put something together and working and fighting and stressing and about to lose my religion. I mean, on some occasions I did lose it. And then I had to ask for forgiveness and I'm kicking and I'm pulling and I'm breaking and I'm having to think about returning it. And, 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 then, and then my wife walks in and says, well, have you read the directions? So I'm a guy, I don't need directions. Can I tell you, I think some of us say that all the time. I know how to live my life. I know what I'm doing. But then can I tell you that, that I start to work on those directions and I start to read them and I do in 15 minutes what I couldn't do in an hour and a half on my own. What I couldn't do in two or three hours on my own. Without any frustration, just goes together. It's a happy occasion. It's, it, it, it's, it's beautiful. Everybody is happy. You know, my son thinks the world of me and, and my wife is, 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 is feeling lovely because I, I'm, I'm not, you know, freaking everybody out in the house trying to manhandle this thing. And, and then I start to realize something, guys. Listen to me very, very closely. Whoever designed this product designed it and put the instructions according to what their design was so that you could get the maximum use out of it. And they know a little bit more about their design than you do about their design. Can I tell you, God designed us. And he knows a little bit more about life since he is the author, designer, and engineer of that life than we do. But yet many times we say, now I don't need your instructions. I can do it my way. I can, and we end up with frustration. We end up with anger. We end up with all sorts of problems. And yet God is saying, if you only do it my way. Well, listen, the biggest choice you could ever make is to give your life to God. Because that will determine where you spend eternity. And Jesus understood that. And do you know that the church is his design to show people a better way to live. When God's people gather together and we do it his way, others should look and say, wow, there's something to what they're doing. I think I want some of that. I like the way they do family. I like the way they do togetherness. I like the way they raise children. I like the way they do all of these things. Can I know more? Jesus was serious about this to the point that he said these kind of things. 
As a matter of fact, I want you to know that he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And he did it for a reason because he didn't want anyone to go there. In chapter 25, the entire chapter is about understanding what's going to happen at the end of time. And this is one of the statements he makes in that chapter, verse 46. He says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. What he's saying is there really is a hell and your choice really can send you there. Your choice of saying, I don't want you, God. I need you to understand what that choice is. And there are people making that choice because they don't know any better. And we have the opportunity to impact them. Listen to what he says in Luke 16, 23. In Hades, that's hell. Where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. What is he saying? What is the Bible saying? The Bible literally says, Jesus is speaking here. He says, there was a certain rich man and there was a certain poor man named Lazarus. The certain means this is not a parable. This is a real thing. There is a person that I'm talking to you about. Two characters, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man rejected God throughout his life and he reaped, he reaped, his decision. What is that decision to be without God? This is what people are doing every day. They are dying without God. And they're saying, I don't want you, Lord. Why? How will they know if they're not told? How will they know if we don't share? There's people in your circle of influence right now that I want you to think about and say, Lord, are they saved? Is my mother, my brother, my, my father, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, my co-workers, are they saved? And do I have the gift of life that, that I can share with them? Are they on my mind? Or do we have other things on our mind? See, this is what the person does when they reject God. They're rejecting light. God is light. So you're going to be in eternal darkness. God is joy. You're rejecting joy. God is love. You're rejecting love. Can you imagine being in a place with no love, no joy, no light, and it's your choice? But how will they know unless we share? And we have that beautiful opportunity to share with them the gift of life. That's why Jesus came and he spoke so seriously. He said things like this. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, this is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Do you know the Sermon on the Mount is like a greatest hits? Some have said, well, he preached it all at once. Others have said, no, these are the topics he most often taught on. And so it's a compilation of his greatest sermons. You know, when I played Waylon Jennings and, uh, and Willie Nelson, they have a greatest hits. Well, Jesus' greatest hits are found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And right in the middle of that greatest hits is storing up your treasure in the right place. Listen to what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is God saying? Give me your heart. Let me take care of you. Let me save you. Let us have a relationship so that you can spend eternity with me. And this is what we should help him with. We should help him share the good news with those we love. Get that same eternal perspective that Jesus had when Jesus said, you can't take land with you. You can't take cars with you. You can't take property with you. You can't take a bank account or investments with you. You can't take any heirlooms with you. The only thing you can take with you are the relationships with people. People last forever. Relationships in the Lord will last forever. And that's what Jesus is saying. Get an eternal perspective, which leads us to number three. And get with the program. Jesus had a plan. Do you know Jesus had a plan to do what he was doing? You say, well, I, you know, if he wanted to save everyone, 
why didn't he just stay here on earth and preach forever? That wasn't his plan. His plan was to launch a movement that would change the course of human history and to give us an opportunity to be a part of that movement. But first, we got to get his mind, get his heart. We have to start caring about what he cared about. Listen to his plan. It's right here in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is saying, go with this authority that I have given you. I've just conquered death. I've I've just set you free. And I am the creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, I commission you. Listen, if the president commissions brother David to go do something, then he has the authority to do it. But if he commissioned him to go do this one specific thing and David decides, I'm going to take his authority and go somewhere else and throw a big party in his name. Is that under the authority of our president? No. The authority resides with you doing the assignment that was assigned. What is the assignment? Go out and reach people. It's the heart of the Father. Understand there's an eternal perspective here. Get with the plan. We gotta reach folks. We gotta grow. We've gotta see people saved. And I have authority to do it by Jesus Christ. That's the authority where he says, you can trample on snakes and scorpions and the demons will be subject to you when you operate according to what God set out for us to do. Watch this. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. This was Jesus' plan. I'm going to take 12 and I'm going to teach them to multiply themselves. And they will multiply themselves and they will multiply themselves. It was an exponential strategy that if we implemented it today, today, just here at this church, we could save the entire world. Those that, have, that would choose to be saved, we could save them in one generation, a period of, of 30 years. No, I'm serious. If you, it's a simple math equation. It's exponential growth. You take everybody in this room. Let's just say there's 400 people that, 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 that or 500 people at foundation that say, we're going to do this. And for a year, you share the gospel with one person and you disciple them under the authority of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he says, I give you authority to disciple. And when you start mixing it up with somebody, the Holy Spirit shows up. That's what he says with two or three gather in my name, doing what I've called you to do. And you touch in faith my heart. I show up and great things begin to happen. The world begins to shake. So 500 people in one year would go to 1,000. By the next year, you're at 2,000. By the year after that, you're at what? 4,000. The year after that, you're at 8,000. By year five, you're hitting 16,000. That would rock Bastrop. I'm talking the county. 16 goes to 30 what? Am I doing it right? 1,002, yeah, yeah, 32. Then you go from 32,000 to 64,000, from 64,000 to what? We haven't even reached 10 years yet. We're around the 10-year mark. Now, some of you are way better in math than I am, but by the time we hit 15, you've already reached all of Central Texas, and Houston is falling. Houston, we got a problem, a good problem. The Christians are are, are making inroads in a huge way. And, and now Dallas is, North America by year 20 would be predominantly one. We're going South America now. By year 25, it's crossed over to multiple continents. By year 30, you've reached over 20 billion people. There's not even 20 billion. What are you doing? We've, we've gone home. Because the Bible says, The end will come when we get serious about Jesus' plan. What is Jesus' plan? It's the heart of the Father. It's understanding there's an eternal perspective and it's launching something simple where you get involved and you make yourself available. 
Look, look, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, stay with me on this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, he shares more of his plan with us through the Apostle Paul. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So he gives these five-fold ministries. What are, what are the five-fold ministry gifts? See, some people lump this in with the spiritual gifts, but the spiritual gifts are different than the ministry gifts. I'll tell you how. First of all, they have two different givers. Who gives the spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit does. The Bible says in the book of, of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will receive a spiritual gift as a part of the charisma, charismata, the, the charisma. You know what that is? As a part of your grace gift. When you receive the grace of God and you're saved, you're given a gift. It's a spiritual, supernatural ability to serve him. To do what? To edify the church. What does it mean to edify? You build up. So my gift is not for me. My gift is for you guys. But this is different. What he's talking about here is not the spiritual gifts. This is, who's the giver here? Who are they talking about? The one who ascended is also the one who, or the one who descended is also the one that ascended. Let me be correct. He descended from heaven. He lived here. He died. He rose again. And then he ascended and he gives gifts. What are these gifts? These gifts are the office of these, of pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. So literally what he's saying, if you have a pastor who preaches the word and builds you up according to God's word, then you have a gift from Jesus Christ. I got a few amens. No, no, no. Listen, you have a gift. I don't have the gift. I am the gift. That, that, that's starting to revolutionize the way I think. He goes, so my role, according to this word, is to equip you. See, we've got to change this idea that pastors are supposed to win the world. Pastors are supposed to prepare you so that you go out and win the world. Yeah. Pastors teach the word of God and say, what's on your heart? So that's my role, to, to teach the word of God and to say, this is on God's heart, is it on your heart? This is on God's mind, is it on your mind? And then you have to be challenged, you say, Pastor, then what, what am I to do? Well, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, he tells you, what's your role? My role is to teach you, to equip you, to prepare you, to put the, the good food in front of you. You eat it, and then you act on it. But what should I action be? I should, I should operate in my gifting. I should do this. I should do it. No, before we do any of that, it comes down to something very, very simple, because what I'm trying to reverse here is called the Pareto principle. There was a man who put forth the principle that in my, most every major endeavor, you have what? 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, and 80% of the people doing 20% of the work. Well, it's even worse in churches sometimes. And I'm here to tell you that before we do anything, we have to understand our roles. My role is to give you the word of God, to provide opportunities to, to, to build you up with God's word. Look at your role. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, faithful people who will be able to teach others also. I want, you to, I want you to focus on the key to, the, to that verse. This is the great commission that Jesus put into place. I teach you 12. You 12 find other. But who are they to find? Faithful. That's the key word in the entire 
faithful. Well, wait, 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 wait. What about faithful and able? That sounds good, right? Faithful and able. Who says faithful and able? That's what's happened to the church. Because at one point we said we need faithful and able. And now we need able before faithful. You need to have ability. Little faith, a lot of ability. Can I show something to you? It says faithful men who will be made able. Who's going to make them able? The power of God. You don't have to have ability. You just have to have faith. And faith is what it's all about. Look, the just shall live by faith is what the New Testament says. The New Testament says without faith, you cannot please God. You cannot see God. You cannot have a relationship with God. It's all about faith. So what do you mean, pastor? I mean, you've got to be able to say, Lord, I hear your heart. I see what's on your mind. I read my New Testament and I've heard the preaching of the pastor you put before me. Therefore, no more excuses. I'm stepping out in faith and I'm saying, use me. Here I am, God. Use me. No more excuses of I don't have this ability or I don't know if I can. I don't, I don't need to. All I need to do is show up in faith, God, and you begin to do the rest. Can I tell you, when he first called me to preach the gospel, I had no idea how to preach. I had never been to seminary. I had never preached a, a message in my life. I had never done any of that. All I knew is, Lord, you've asked me to do something. I know for certain it was you. I know for certain it was you. Why? Because I spent a year and a half praying, not kind of, maybe, perhaps, but Lord, I need you to speak to me so vividly that I know that I know that I know it was you. And once I heard his voice, then I said, okay, Lord, now all I have to do is, and God began to do the rest. You might say, well, pastor, how do we, what, what, what do we do? Listen, we have a good church here. And we are reaching souls. Amen. And so I want to ask you, do you want to bank in heaven? Do you want to bank in heaven? What's your bank account look like in heaven? When was the last time you brought, a, you brought someone to Jesus? When was the last time you led someone to Jesus? When was the last time you discipled someone? When was the last time you served someone? When was the last time you took a meal to someone in need? There's all kinds of opportunities, guys. But I've learned this. You start first in the church. Once God gives you confidence here, then you begin to go outside. It's interesting because these two are some of your most faithful servants you can find. I told you last week that we have the privilege of going on vacation with them. And... It's a beautiful time. We have a good time. But one of the best times we had is Melissa and I were in line at HEB, and they were in line at HEB, and they wouldn't have me say this, but I'm not asking their permission. I, I believe it's, it's for the blessing of you. And there was a couple there, and they looked like they were having a hard time. They were stressed. There was, you could feel stress. Hispanic couple. Man had tattoos. Um, she was trying to just keep the kids wrangled in and, and you could tell they were like calculating how much do we have you know we're trying to make this vacation special but we're, we're and, and, and you could just feel the stress and I'm watching it and before I could do anything Christy and Rick just come in and they pay for their all their groceries you need anything else we'll pay for it you should have seen this man it's like why 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 he couldn't figure it out he was just why why next thing you know his wife starts just, they weren't even married, just start breaking down. And then he starts breaking down in the ministry. And I thought to myself, man, Lord, that's what happens when we say we want what's on your heart, on your mind. We want it to be our heart. We want it to be our mind so that we might be your hands and your feet and your mouth and your presence in the earth today. And that's what we get an opportunity to do. That they bank it in heaven. They're saying, Lord, I'm putting forward to you. You take care of my treasure in heaven for me. I'm learning a heavenly economy. I understand that the things down here don't last, but what I put up there will last for eternity. 
So I'm going to ask you this month to be in prayer, Lord, give me feet of faith. Give me hands of faith. No longer can I be part of a church and let others bank my blessing in heaven. I want to bank some blessing, Lord. So I'm going to be part of the salvations and the ministry and the plan that's being implemented and worked out in my church. How am I going to do it? It may be as the yard guy, but even the yard guy gets a little piece of that banking. Because when people drive onto this campus and they see and feel the peace of God through something done in excellence, they're blessed. And you know what I've learned? The more you serve, the more God begins to give you more opportunity. They didn't jump out and start helping people out there and having this kind of boldness just one day out of the clear blue. They learned it here. And they grew it. And they unfolded it. And now God has given them more and more opportunities. Can I ask you this as your prayer partners come forward? Can you say today, Lord, give me a heart to serve. God, I want to bank in heaven. I want to be a part of your plan, your epic plan of salvation that you've been unfolding through the ages. I want to be a part of that. Even if it's a small part, Lord, I'm going to volunteer somewhere. I'm going to quit worrying about my abilities and I'm going to step in faith. That's the key, faith. Sometimes we get paralysis by analysis. We'll talk about that next time I preach. Where we start analyzing so much. If I had analyzed like I, sh- like I should have in a worldly manner, I would have never started preaching. Didn't make any sense at all. Step out in faith today. Have a conversation with your king and say, Lord, Give me feet of faith, hands of faith. Today, I make a commitment to get involved with your heart and your mind. Would you come? Let's pray together. 